welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast, where Sean Ellis and Ethan Gar interview leaders from the world's fastest growing companies to get to the heart of what's really driving their growth. And now, here are your hosts, Sean Ellis and Ethan Gar. Right in this week's episode of the Breakout Growth Podcast, Ethan Gar and I chat with Garima Sina, who moved on from Facebook less than a year ago to start a new challenge, leading growth at Instacart. So as we approached this discussion, we were really curious as to how Garima navigated what seems like the daunting shift from one growth monster to another and learning what worked and how she approached taking on this new challenge made for some really great conversation. So Ethan, what stood out to you as we dug in with Garima? Two things really jumped out for me. One is that if you're going to be successful jumping onto a moving train like Instacart, you really need to be passionate about the mission. And Garima really is. And secondly, you need to really plan your approach. Garima didn't just take what worked at Facebook and walk into Instacart and make wholesale changes. She got her team involved in the decision-making processes. She looked to learn from them and really took the time to understand new levers that were now available to her that she was less familiar with from her previous experience. Right. I agree. And you know, when she told us how she describes Instacart to her mom as this almost magical service where you can get any grocery you want at any time without any hassle, even at the last minute, you can just feel how excited she is to lead Instacart's next chapter of growth, which by the way, is going to go well beyond groceries. Yeah. Uh, You know, being humble about what she knew and what she still had to learn to be successful, I think is really one of the key things that's going to make her successful in this position. And probably a good lesson for the rest of us just to recognize that we don't have to know ever or look like we know everything, act like we know everything to be an effective leader, admitting what you know and what you don't know, and just be being humble as you approach building that knowledge is, is really key to being successful. Yeah. I mean, walk in and be humble and, and know what you know, know what you don't know and find out what you, you know, what you need to learn. Um, the people around you are going to respect you for that, I think. Yep. And I think our listeners are going to appreciate that along with just these larger growth insights that Kareem has shared. Yeah. hundred percent. Now she talks about following your convictions and learning from each experiment. It's just, it's just all really good stuff. Uh, but before we jump in, I want to invite our listeners to check out the sponsor for this week's episode, Rise with SAP S4 HANA Cloud. Hypergrowth companies get up and running quickly with this low-cost, easy-to-implement cloud ERP solution. So if you are working to power breakout growth success in your business, please check out sap.com slash highgrowth. All right, Sean, and you probably want to remind our audience that the next Go Practice cohort starts this Wednesday, February 9th. Right. Thank you for that. Yeah. So you can sign up or learn more at gopractice.io. I'm really hoping to see a lot of people who listen to the podcast in, in the course. There's a lot of interaction back and forth, and uh, it's, a, it's a really great program for learning growth. But for now, let's jump in with Garima. Yeah, this is a good one. Let's do it. Hi, Garima. Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, we are so excited to uh, to dive into growth with you and, and talk about Instacart and everything you're doing there. But I also want to welcome my co-host, Ethan. Hey, Ethan, how's it going? Good. How are you, Sean? Hey, Garima. Good, good to have you on. Hi, good to talk to you again. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm doing great as well to answer your question. <laughs> Sorry, I cut you off there. <laughs> yeah, ask a question and then go straight on. Um, so, uh, yeah, Garima, let's let's just dive straight into it. You you know, you were on Facebook. Facebook's you know one of the most respected growth organizations out there. Um, super sophisticated. So I imagine that uh, it's it's not an easy place to leave, but you you obviously did for Instacart. So I'm I'm curious what it was about Instacart that uh, that attracted you to make the jump. Yeah, um, that that's a great question, and it's like something I grappled with for a while before deciding to move to Instacart. Um, but I think the thing that really excites me is how much growth can we drive and like the next two years or next three years. And that's like a really exciting challenge. And Instacart was like at that perfect intersection of the company was seeing hyper growth, but there is so much to do. And like, in some ways I felt like the company was kind of growing, just, you know, people were loving Instacart, people are using Instacart, not once, but again, and then COVID happened and the company saw a lot of growth. But at the same time, um, you know, the way we surgically do growth and intentionally do growth, that had so much potential and opportunity to do it at Instacart, which was just like so exciting. And so I felt like if I could apply everything I've learned in the last 10 years about growth to Instacart, it could be amazing and it could be an amazing challenge for me. Um, but also just like Instacart has so much upside and potential left. So it's, I mean, it sounds like you really dug into what the upside was, maybe like looked at the risks. How did you, did you have friends at Instacart or, or like, how did you dig into that? How did you know what the upside was? And, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I had, I had some friends, I had people who had worked at Instacart in the past I talked to, but I think beyond that, as, as I am a user, I, I was actually one of the very early users of Instacart when they first started. Um, I used to live like a block from Whole Foods and still Instacart every day in Noe Valley. Um, and so I've been like a big, I've been a big fan. But I think the thing that is so fascinating to me about Instacart is like grocery industries is huge. Like everyone needs groceries end of the day. And online behavior is still pretty new. Like it's just 10% penetrated and we do think it will grow up pretty significantly in next three to five years. And so I think that upside is pretty clear from where Instacart could be. And then if you look at other dimensions of growth, it's Instacart is not just groceries. It's Best Buy and it's Sephora and it's meals and convenience and whatnot. And it's actually our ability to expand and grow into tangential verticals is insane upside, whether you do it in a year or five, the, the market exists for us to do that. And in some ways, Instacart is so far ahead in like grocery business that we, we know how to do it well. And so we are now kind of building on our strength and really applying it to different things and growing the business. So you weren't you weren't really concerned then that Instacart was at a you know hitting a growth ceiling as you joined. You were thinking the sky's the limit. I think the sky is the limit. And like even from just grocery growth perspective, like we have so much we have not done and we have not touched. And just like beginning to apply those growth principles to Instacart, there is endless growth left. It's interesting, um, you know, before this conversation, Sean and I were chatting and I was thinking the the challenge in the grocery business, and we actually had a chat with another um, e-grocery company a few weeks ago, not for the podcast, but um, it just seems like it's so competitive. And not only that, but it's for sort of the tangential um, sort of companies like an Uber, it's really easy to for them to kind of encroach in your business. But it's interesting from your perspective, it sounds like 
there's opportunities for you to encroach on other businesses as well and grow <laughs> Instacart beyond the grocery business as well. So I guess that takes away some of the fear. Um, I Yeah, I think like a lot of companies are trying to get into grocery business, but I'll say it's not as easy to get in and win at it because it's hard to buy bananas and milk and eggs for someone else, right? It's like... Right. <laughs> Very um, personal decision. Right. I want them green I, so yeah. that they last a few days or right. I want to eat it right now. <laughs> yeah. And like you do groceries like multiple times a week. So it's a very right. different business than, uh, you know, picking up an item from place A and taking it to point B. Like the, the logistics and the intention involved in it is very different. Right. And so Instacart actually through for the last like five plus years has been doing this and has really nailed how to get a good grocery shopping experience out there, which I think is like a big competitive advantage. And then even outside of that, like we're not just grocery delivery business, right? Like we we work very closely with retailers and our retailer relationships are something that is, uh, again, like another advantage we have. And it's something that we are really investing in. And we're not just thinking about grocery delivery. We are thinking about the grocery tooling and every every single tech that grocery industry uses. How do we give that to you? How do we give that to all the safe ways and um, the best ways of the world? And I think that is just a completely different business to be in than just a grocery de- delivery business. Yeah, maybe we should take a, a little step back and just uh, for anyone who might not be familiar with with Instacart, kind of what's the what's the simple explanation that maybe you give your parents or or, or <laughs> someone who's who's not in tech that uh, helps describe what what Instacart's all about. Um, the way I described it to my mom is you can get any any grocery item you want at any point without any hazard. And it's literally that, right? Like sometimes I'm like, oh shit, I'm just like about to cook something in an hour, but I actually don't have eggs. What do I do? And you can actually just place an order and get it in the next two hours, right? And so I I do think that it's not just delivery of groceries, which of course it's very convenient, but it's also last minute. It's also as and when you need it without you needing to step out. And then from there, it's like, now I buy all my Sephora stuff on Instacart because why not, right? And so I do think it's, right now, it's the most convenient way to get groceries. I personally think in a couple of years, it'll be the most convenient way to get anything. Yeah, it's it, it's kind of funny the the story you just or the the example you just mentioned of you're cooking and you, or you're an hour from from cooking and you realize you don't have an ingredient. My wife was cooking this week uh, some Hungarian food and uh, <laughs> and she said, "Oh no, we don't have any paprika," which is like the key ingredient in what she was cooking. <laughs> and so, obviously, super super convenient and easy to send me to the grocery store. And so right. I, uh, <laughs> As, as she's sending me, I was like, let me just look through the cupboard and make sure we don't have it. And of course I found some, so total side note there <laughs> that, you know, I guess before Instacart, it was, uh, send, send your spouse to the grocery store so you it's, can keep cooking. <laughs> it's like, send your spouse for me. It's been send my brother for my mom. It's been send my, uh, you know, send her son to the grocery store and, and you hate it. I'm sure Sean, you hate yeah, it. Yeah, for the sure. Store last minute. But I'm busy sitting on the couch doing nothing. Come on. <laughs> Turns out Sean is the direct indirect competitor to Instacart's success. Right? <laughs> but but it, it's it's it is funny though because I, like that's a really the mindset shift. I, I think people have gotten accustomed to the idea that that yes you can do online delivery of, of groceries. We do it. Everyone I know does it. But that idea that you can do it really in real time 
um, is probably something that people aren't used to. I think, you know, there's a lot of like, oh, I'll order it today and I'll get it tomorrow in that. So it'll be interesting to see how your how Instacart is able to change that perception over the, the course of time. Yeah. And I think it's already, I mean, as someone who's been using Instacart from day one, like I can say it's already changed so much. You know, you had to order two days in advance to find a slot. And then it became like a day. And now it's like, it lit- it's like literally an hour or two every single time I place an order, right? And so I do think that convenience and that velocity has changed so much. And as like the company has optimized fulfillment and we've really gotten good at like knowing how to shop, how to batch orders, how to get them delivered really efficiently, like the the advantage of that is passing on to the consumers because they get they get their stuff really fast. So is that... Uh, is that really a product of just the, um, just sort of the maturity of the business? In other words, the business growing to the point now where the, the marketplace, uh, the three-sided marketplace that you have is just so robust that you can give that sort of instant, um, result or instant value for the customer. Um, I think scale is definitely an aspect of it. I think experience and muscle is the other aspect of it because now we have shoppers trained up. Uh, we have shoppers partnered with different retailers who, who who's just like constantly shopping and they know how to shop really fast. Um, and so I think, I think it's a mix of all of those things. And then the consumer behavior has shifted to like people now more and more want things really fast. <laughs> the more you get faster, the faster you want it. And so I think in some ways it's another, like, it's just a user need that has become so pronounced in the business. My, what I was curious too about as director of product management, What's the scope of your of that of your responsibility, and who do you report to in that role? Um, so my scope is growth, and so that spans everything from acquisition, retention, um, you know, resurrections, performance marketing, SEO, all of those incentives, all of those things combined. Um, so, and the way we think about growth is a, a lot of it is how we used to think about growth. Like, you know, I've learned about growth at Facebook is also just like, what is the full growth engine? It's not one thing. It's not just about acquiring users because if you don't retain them or they're not engaged on an ongoing basis, it's almost like a leaky bucket, right? And so how we think about growth, like pretty much full full funnel, full growth engine, but also like not just tactical growth in, in terms of like, how do we optimize certain flows, but actually what are the products we can build that will drive long-term growth? And so we think a lot about like gifting, referrals, like these are channels that are so efficient for acquisition, but they're actually a great way to experience Instacart the first time. Or like things around value, which is like, we know that people really care about the cost they have to pay to Instacart to get items. And so like we recently shipped deals tab with the hypothesis that it'll drive actually retention because people can discover deals and savings on products they buy all the time. And so we we really think about growth like full funnel, but full products, zero to one beyond technical tactical work, and then SEO, performance marketing, and you know, building out the tech for those things. Um and, oh yeah, and then I, I do report to I I report to the VP of consumer who runs everything across like the IC app that includes payments and that includes like the course storefront experience and retailer integrations, et cetera. So, so you joined the company how many months ago? 
six months ago. Okay. So, yeah. So you, as you just described the scope of what you're working on, I mean, it's, it's everything basically. (laughs) Sounds intense. (laughs) Yeah. I I gotta assume that you've got, um, that there's, there's, there's a big team there. There's, Mm -hmm. there's, a history of, of processes and, and things that have been, been done there for a long time. Um, I, I imagine as, as you got started that trying to, um, trying, trying to actually figure out what, what do I do first? What do I, what comes second? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, do do I just like study everything and not break something or do I jump in and start trying to drive results? How did yeah. you, how did you sort through that? And what, what did you actually do first? Um, that's a, that's a great question. I think a part of me, like, you know, someone who works on growth inside out, like how do I get impact as fast as possible? And how do we start seeing wins as fast as possible, which is really tempting. Um, but the, the, the risky part about that is you might stumble upon things that you think are going to work in the first place, but you don't know the business yet. You don't know the context yet. And it might actually just like waste time. And so a lot of my time in the early, like the first 60 days was just like two things, understanding the business and product. And so we actually did like a full understand sprint for four weeks, which was just looking at every single funnel, looking at all our channels, where are people coming from, who's retaining, who's not, how is every single screen on the product performing, just like a full kind of sweep to deeply understand the performance of our products and that was like one step that gave us actually a lot of insights that we had not thought about before. Um, and as the other aspect of it was just like understanding the organization and the people and how are things working? Like, do people feel like they're set up for success? Do we have the right people working on the things they want to work on and vice versa? Um, do we have the right level of staffing on things that are actually really, really important? And like what we found like in, in a couple of pockets was like, everyone was working on too many things. And then, you know, that basically means everyone is mind share is stretched in. And while it looks like we are all working on this big thing, but actually nothing is moving forward because everyone is distracted. Right. And so a lot of my work early on was like trying to understand really what are the most important focus areas and how do we kind of streamline our processes and org and teams in a way that people can find focus. Um, And it was a big team. Like, I think we, I think now we have like 70 or 80 engineers on the growth team. I have like a team of 10 to 15 PMs and marketers on my team. Um, and so it, it was a big team. It was more about how do we set ourselves up so we can be more efficient and get the most impact we can out of our work um, and have clear outcomes. So like it was both of those things. And I really had to resist the urge to say, let's go do this. There were areas that were like, oh, this is obvious. Let's try something to even to validate my instincts. But a lot of it was just understanding the product, business and people and kind of setting things up in a way that, you know, we could work really well for not next two months, but next year and next two years. So so obviously for, for you personally, that was that was really helpful to get your head around everything. What about people who'd been on the team for a long time? Do you, do you feel <laughs> like they got uh, fresh insights and new insights or was it just kind of uh, for, for a lot of the people who've been there a long time, it was just reinforcing of things that they that they felt pretty confident they already knew? Um, I think it was a mix. There were there were aspects of it which were like, you know, we've been doing these things, this works, this doesn't work. And like, it, it was kind of reinforcing that, okay, we are working on the right things. Um, in certain cases, it was like, 
people wish we did this X more, but we don't because we think we should do Y and that some of those exercises actually help us clarify where actually the opportunities are. And it was like, oh yeah, we thought that, but we never go- we never got to it. So like it was an easier way to kind of switch focus. Um, one thing that I was lucky enough to do just in the timing and everything was like, I, I joined end of Q1. And so I could kind of reorient a bunch of things entering H2. So it's not disruptive for the teams and we have the time to put together a plan we have conviction in. Um, and so for a lot of people, it was like, oh yeah, like this makes sense. We'd always wanted to do this, but we could never get to it. And I think it just gave us such a strong why and validation for things we should be working on and then like invest, make those investments and structure our teams around it. Uh, which was really, it was really nice for, it was really nice for people because like I said, like a lot of people were very stretched in across different things. I mean, you obviously did a really good job of sort of saying, of doing that, taking a step back, doing the learn, t- taking the time to do the learning. Did you feel pressure, external pressure to like jump in and make change or maybe internal pressure? Like I've got to, <laughs> I got to start showcasing value right away. Cause I, I know in my previously, I've felt that joining new teams. Yeah, no, I think it's always a pressure and I actually feel it's even more so for growth people because everyone feels like, oh, we have a growth person. We should start growing tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) And And I think like, of course, there there was a bit of that. There was a bit of that internally. There was like a bit of, I mean, less external, but of course, like as we were hiring, Mm -hmm. people were like, okay, what has changed? Um, And I think we, I tried to find the balance of showing progress. And so just like doing a lot more work on building a shared understanding or building, getting everyone on the same page or getting everyone on like, you know, from a strategy perspective, it's really important we focus more on retention, right? Because, you know, we we are acquiring all these people and there's a lot of upside left in retaining them. Um, Trying to understand even more core levers actually gave people a shared language around what to focus on. So like, it's not just retention, actually, it's second order. That's the most important thing. And so now you have, you know, a magic one moment that people can orient themselves around. So I think just people having more understanding of how Instacart growth works and what are our big levers, just even having progress on that actually was really helpful. And it took away some anxiety or urgency around are we growing tomorrow or not. Yeah, I think that's that's underappreciated by so many people of <laughs> like how how important it is to get everyone on the same page because if, if, if you don't have kind of alignment and working together in a cohesive way, a big growth team can actually be probably like a, a negative because <laughs> you get people kind of pulling in different directions. And, and uh, so if you can start by getting everyone working from the same mental model of how the business grows, it's easier to, to then spot those opportunities and, and get people excited about aligning behind the bigger opportunities. Yeah, no, totally. And I think the other big shift we had to carry on, and it's like a shift we are still going through is, you know, growth is not just small changes and it's not just like a hundred experiments in three months. Um, and we were doing a lot of them and we still do a lot of them on an ongoing basis. And there are wins from that. But at some point you reach a local maxima and all these local maximas with each other don't necessarily prove as incremental as like what you might think in the beginning. So just like kind of shifting that model from being uh, 80 or 100 percent in that mode to 30 to 50 percent of our investment should actually be more like longer term growth bets that will actually do like step change, like, you know, change angle on the growth curves is a very different mindset. And it requires a very different kind of like discipline and patience 
it might not work in your first experiment and that's okay. Let's try a different iteration of it in the second or the third iteration, right? And it takes time. Like sometimes you might think this is a 10x opportunity, but it takes six months to get there. And I think that mind shift and culture shift for a growth org is so important because it's really easy for people in growth to be like, oh no, but we need to grow tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and so I, I think that like knowing what that split of what's needed for the business to not just drive growth in six months, but drive it for next three years, I think is different because it compounds so much. So for people who might be making like a similar shift in growth, is there advice that you have for them sort of specific that, you know, from your experience making those cha- those shifts to avoid common mistakes? Um, I think one thing I'll say is get as specific as possible on your levers. And so, you know, like, like an example I just shared was like, it's not just that we have to drive retention, but actually knowing your second order is the most important thing for retention. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you, what do you actually mean by that second order? Um, like how quickly once someone places their first Instagram order, order. Oh, second or Okay. Gotcha. Second, second order. order. How I, quickly? I, I thought it was more like this, like it's, it's not just retention. It's second order retention, like in a different dimension. Oh, so, no, sorry. So, no, no, no. Uh, I, I meant like, like oh, some growth lingo I'm not driving, familiar with. <laughs> what, like the biggest indicator gotcha. of longer term retention yeah. is like how quickly you can place your second order. Um, on the platform and like similar for Facebook, like 10 years ago, it was like, how quickly can you find five friends? And if you can, in the next couple of days of signing up, you will be way more retained than anything. Right. And for multiple years and to a large degree, even now, like that's the thing Facebook focuses the most on to drive growth is how quickly can we get your critical mass of friends? And so like finder suggestions, all of those projects came out of that one insight that that is the most critical level for driving user retention. And so I think for any such shift, I think it's important that people kind of start internalizing that the problem to be cracked is very specific. And that is the one thing that will drive growth. And it might not happen in a month. It might take months, but you have to be very rigorous about it. Um, And I do think that helps because it's really easy to say we have to improve retention. Let's do this, then let's do this, then let's do this. Um, but it's really not all those hundred things. It's really probably one or two things that you really have to crack. It's just, it's interesting to me. Um, you honed in on that, uh, time <laughs> to second order. Sean and I recently worked with the, with a team in the e-commerce space actually. And, uh, we very, uh, we as a, as a, as a group, we honed in on that as a really important, uh, growth lever. But, uh, <laughs> I, I agree with like, if you set something like that up as the key objective to work forward uh, to, it can be very impactful and it gets everyone sort of aligned and looking at the same direction, you know, in the same direction as if we can accomplish this, that's how we'll grow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's actually speaking in the e-commerce space in general, I think it's so interesting how, you know, different sectors kind of go down the path of making some of the same mistakes and, and, uh, it's so easy to just look at aggregate transactions in the in the e-commerce space and not thinking about it on a on a human level like you would with a Facebook or with with kind of more traditional consumer brands where it's like how do I how do I create a an a, a long-term user or customer on a product and and so when you start to shape a um, a buyer journey to to getting them to that state you just you think about an e-commerce business so differently but it's it's it seems so natural as you're talking about it that way but it's 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 been surprising to me to see how 
how quickly uh, e-commerce companies just focus on bulk transactions. Yeah, I think like top line is a very tempting graph, right? <laughs> as long as yeah. the top line is going up, it looks great. But I think the question is, the way I describe it sometimes to people is it's not that you're not growing, you're probably leaving a lot of growth on the table. Yeah. If you're not retaining people as well, that you could be. And like if now after having acquired 50 million users, 40 million are churned, mm-hmm. it's actually like wasted growth that was, yes, happening on the graph. Right. But a year and, later, you... It might actually be hard to get those users back yeah. because they, they didn't have a good enough experience to keep using it. And so right. <laughs> like in a sense, you're, you're kind of like, uh, you're kind of... Yeah. Um, you have to reconvince them and yeah <laughs> and, and make, reconvincing is better than convincing the first time yeah <laughs> right. yeah exactly exactly um, so so if you you know obviously you've you've learned a lot in the last six months and and i th- I think it's probably a fairly unique experience of of dropping into a company that's growing at the rate that instacart has particularly like with with you know probably some extra pandemic <laughs> wind behind yeah. it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so it's just really kind of an unprecedented journey that you went on. But now that you've been on that journey, if you could, if you could go back and do it again, is there anything that you would do differently? I think I would probably spend a little bit more time on understanding levers that I've like not experienced personally before in growth. And so like performance marketing is actually a great example of that. Um, so like in companies like Facebook, Instagram, it's like messenger growth that I did for multiple years. Um, most of the growth and impact comes from like social loops, viral loops, flywheel in the product and so on. Right. And so when I joined Instacart, like a lot of my focus was on that part of the, of the business and levers and understanding them, which is, which I still think it's really important, but at a company like Facebook, like, 90% of your growth might come from the, some stuff like that, right? But in a company like Instacart and I assume like Uber and DoorDash and Lyft, there is a big incentive and performance marketing aspect of the business that drives growth. Um, SEO is another one that like drives so much growth. And I wish I'd spent more time early on in understanding that a little bit better and even bridging that to the product a little bit better. Um, even as I joined and like, you know, we've always thought about two things as separate. We say, oh, performance marketing, and we say product growth. But they're actually the same thing because unless you can make it work together, you're not going to get the most impact out of it. <laughs> not going to be much performance on the marketing <laughs> right, side. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> and retaining. <laughs> right. And so I think, and even just like getting creative, if you're building new products like DealStab and we know deals and values are so useful for people, why not performance market that? Why still just performance market like, you know, get delivery, grocery delivery to, today? And so I think it's like, I wish that was like a path I had explored sooner um, and faster. And I think it was like, a lot of it was just like, a lot of my instinct was in the product growth area. Um, And I think that's like probably my biggest learning is like the non-social apps or products of the world grow a little differently than the social apps of the world. This week's Breakout Growth Podcast episode is sponsored by SAP. SAP helps businesses increase productivity and achieve real-time transparency with the power and flexibility of Rise with SAP S4HANA Cloud. If you have ambitious goals and are working to lead markets and industries, then you probably already know how important it is to align with a technology partner who will scale and drive innovation with your business. 
With Grow by SAP, future industry leaders like yourself don't have to rely on stitched together solutions that don't talk to each other to manage business finances, operations, and customer relations. Instead, leveraging the flexibility of SAP's cloud-based solution, you can power all these in one place and gain unprecedented insights into the performance of your business from end to end. Whether you're on the brink of or have already achieved breakout growth success, learn more by visiting sap.com slash high growth. Do you think that's probably pretty generically applicable to almost anyone in a growth role who kind of they 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 come in with a set of experiences and they and they just they look at things through that lens of their previous experiences and um yeah it's like so it's probably the same thing you're saying I, i've i've done the same thing and i've heard a lot of others where it's just like oh i'm gonna it, this growth engine would be really similar to the last one and and then over yeah. time you start to discover the differences it's actually it's not and like every company's growth engine is so different from the other one uh-huh. um, that it's, it's just like really fascinating to see how different it is. But I, I think like I'm, I might, I might, you know, be wrong and I might realize this in three years from now, but I think one realization though is that like a lot of your con- core consumer products and social products like Facebook and Instagram messenger, Snapchat, they just, I would think they do have a lot more growth from like flywheels built into their products, like viral loops and social loops and like, you know, user to user growth um, compared to like a more service type product or like a gig economy type product. And I think it's not just Instacart, it's like even for that matter, Shopify and others, um, where a lot more of it actually starts leaning into performance marketing, brand marketing. Uh, awareness plays, which are just, you have to kind of have a different way of fueling it when you don't have 100 million users who are willing to invite another 10 million users, you know. Um, so I do think that that split is probably very uh, consistent across the two industries. But it seems that your desire to go in and, and spend your time understanding the situation whether it's understanding what works, understanding yeah. <laughs> the customers who loves it most, why they love it, understanding the team and where the strengths are and where people are focused, like that that uh, desire to get your head around things before before leaning into the temptation of uh, of driving results and doing stuff. Um, probably, pro- probably, you know, that as you kind of say, what you do differently it sounds like you probably did a lot of the right stuff. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I would just, just like do more. I think the most important thing I've learned is like the things that I've stuck with for longer is things I had extreme conviction in, right? Even though the first experiment or first 10 experiments are not panning out, it's still like, no, I've looked at every single data point or user journey in every possible way. And I have conviction this is going to work. Yeah, this can't be the way. optimal result right, right here. <laughs> right. And so like, we just have to make it work and it takes longer and it, that's okay. But like, I think that's actually the biggest pitfall that people have is like, they'll have the right instinct and they'll try something and it won't work. And it'll be like, oh, it didn't work. Let's move on. And I think knowing when to not move on is as important as knowing when to move on. Because otherwise, you might just leave something really magical on the table that could have 10x, but it just didn't because we didn't stick with it for another two months. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the a little bit of the difference on a um, kind of individual contributor versus versus a leader. Like if as an individual contributor, it's easy to say, I have the conviction and I'm just going to keep <laughs> focusing here. 
But um, when you have so much you're responsible for and such a big team that you want to have uh, be be productive and effective, how do you how do you transfer your conviction onto the team and keep them excited and focused about something or staying receptive and and maybe someone else is excited about something else and how do you know if your instinct is right versus their instinct uh, any any guidance on sort um, of the leadership side there I think I mean I try to defer a lot of decisions to the teams because I do think ultimately teams need to feel empowered and responsible for driving impact but at the same time it's like how do you find that balance of guiding in the right direction um and I, you know, I, I try to do a lot of like open, like working sessions, kinds of conversations with my teams, which are less like, these are not reviews. These are not like, tell me what happened with this experiment and what to do next. But it's more like, let's debate it out. And then it's more like open and more fluid in the terms of like, let's really debate it. Like, I want to hear why you think this is wrong. I want to talk about why I think this is right <laughs> or vice versa. But like, let's have that conversation. Yeah. Um and I think like the one thing I try to do is like I, I try to get in the weeds with the team, but in ways where like let's let's problem solve it together. So if it's like let me pull some data or let me look at experiments myself and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I do a lot of that. So like um I try to make sure people I work with feel like I, I know what's going on and right. I'm on it with them versus that feeling of like, oh you're so far removed, you actually right. don't know what this is really hard to have credibility asking people to focus on things when it looks (laughs) like you're disconnected Um, yeah and so i think like i try to do a lot of that and for areas i am um i have more conviction and like often things that people ask is like but what happens if you fail and i think it's really on leaders to be like that's okay it's okay like you know if we fail in three months or six months but and we realize it's actually the wrong idea and now it's like time to move on that's okay like you learn something out of it and that's actually as important as, uh, you know, getting a win out of it. Um, and I think as leaders, creating that safe space for people to learn and fail is really important because otherwise we are always going to be conservative. And the biggest growth wins come from not being conservative. It comes from taking like big swings that people think you are insane. <laughs> and then you're like, no, actually, no, I'm not insane. It's going to work. Just like give me three uh-huh. months. You know, and, then, and, and again, like, that's that's part of the credibility of when you first start there that 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 trust is earned over time, yeah. and you you want to you want to have that trust and 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 belief right away. But you know, yeah, it takes time. <laughs> also, just like you know, maybe like one thing I often think of is like, what are my most predicted investments? That even if everyone is like, no, I'm going to predict it, and so it's like you know, you have like two people on this side thing, and you don't need to talk about it until it works. Um, but you just like kind of keep it protected and not create like the pressure of deliver goal in like a month. Um, but I think, I think it works. I've always had like, I, I don't know, even as an IC, like I've been an IC at Facebook for a very long time, like since 2012, 13, I would always have these like two things that I'm like quietly working on with engineers and I'm like, you know, we're going to tell you if it works. Um, and then people are like, you guys are just wasting time. We're like, no, 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 we will tell you, we are doing this stuff you want us to do. <laughs> Um, and I think that's like, it's always good to have those because I think once you do three of those or 10 of those, you, you build that conviction and intuition. I feel that's like really important because as, as important as data is, I don't think it tells you the full story every time. 
Sure. I, I want to move on to sort of our next topic area, but I, I have one quick question I wanted to ask you before we do that. Um, you mentioned the importance of referrals in at, at Instacart. And I'm curious if coming from the social media background that you have with Facebook, is is that like a, does that give you like a superpower as you approach uh, trying to drive virality and referrals for Instacart? Um, I think so. It's like so much of the patterns around invites and referrals are like industry standards at this point, And a lot of it driven by Facebook and Messenger and whatnot. It's like, oh, you know, we don't need to do these 12 different things. Just like if we just did this like one or two, it'll be good enough for us. And so I think that is definitely some like efficiency and ROI that helps so many of us <laughs> who, who are from Facebook and Instagram right now. Um, to just like we have the instincts nailed down on that one. Gotcha. So uh, we noticed that the new a new CEO joined Instacart a few months ago from Facebook. Um, I guess following you, uh, saying I've got to keep working <laughs> with Karina, Karima. Um, Sean and I always believe that CEO plays a really important role in growth. Has it been helpful to have a CEO who shares your background from Facebook? Um, yeah, it's probably the most sophisticated company in the world when it comes to growth out there. Um, I think I think so. Like I think the the biggest reason Facebook was so good at growth was like the leadership really understood growth and not everyone understands growth in the way Facebook leadership did. And I think like having um, a CEO from Facebook who's seen growth for last 10, 12 years at Facebook is amazing because if anything, she's like a great thought partner. And while she's like, you know, she's never like, get growth in a month. She's like, build your capabilities, build your growth engine, build things that compound over time. And that's just like having that kind of um, intention and support system with the CEO of the company, understanding growth is amazing. And like she'll, she'll push us even more. So like, and she understands the ad side of the business and the performance side, marketing side of the business. She's been in ads and videos and consumer, like all of that at Facebook. And so it's really it's really interesting to see how she thinks about growth and like how she thinks about growth is not just growth team doing growth. It's everyone doing growth. Um, it's just, it's just really amazing to work with that kind of mindset. Yeah. It's funny that you, uh, you, you talk about like the, having that CEO sort of understands flywheels and compounding growth over time. And I, uh, I remember in one of my earlier roles where I kind of moved beyond the very top of funnel, spend a dollar, what's my ROI, yeah. and kind of that, that's, my, that's my safe area, stay in that safe area to where I started collaborating with the head of product. And together, we really mapped out like, this is actually how growth works in this business. We have this really high referral rate. We get people to this point. If we get them there, they're retained, it, it kicks off this referral. The, 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 all the referrals help to average down the acquisition cost. And, and so we built, built out this pretty sophisticated diagram of, of how growth works. And, um, and then I brought it to the CEO and I was just so excited about it. And, uh, and he told me, what the hell is this? <laughs> He's like, never bring this into a board meeting. <laughs> I don't want to call out that CEO specifically beyond just kind of telling that story because I, it's a CEO who, who was so effective in so many ways, but, um, you know, and, and, and I got so embarrassed afterwards that like, I kind of like put that away and like buried it somewhere. And I wish I still had the diagram, but I kind of lost it. But, but interestingly, 
the approach that I had advocated was the approach that, that we ended up using at Dropbox, who yeah. was targeting a very similar customer with a very similar value proposition. And we reached millions of users right. <laughs> way faster as a business with almost no marketing, you know, most, almost no dollar yeah. spent on direct customer acquisition, but right. <laughs> looking at that holistic growth engine. And, and so, um, you know, and, and, and what was good was, you know, day one, sitting down with Drew and, and, and kind of having that shared thought of like growth is, is much more than just how you acquire customers. And if we can leverage our existing user base to grow that it can be so much more sustainable over time. So we, we went in with this kind of aligned viewpoint in the early days and just so powerful when, when that happens. And so I think the, the challenge is how do you, how do you get CEOs so that they understand growth enough where they can be a, a, an ally and an asset versus a um, kind of an anchor that, that maybe makes your life a little more difficult? But the best way is to just recruit them I out think, of Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I was very nervous about that, like just not just about Instacart, but even as I thought about leaving Facebook, it's like, can I go find a company that actually and like if I decide to do growth? Do I find a company that actually really understands and appreciates growth? Because it's not always easy. It's not like you come on board and you know numbers go up tomorrow. Um, and at the same time, like or like you know, I've done a lot of work at the intersection of social and growth, and so it's like find a company that kind of understands that style um, and framework of operating from a growth mindset. And I think like it's been it's been really helpful to have like and it's Fiji um you know she's done all of this before and so it's easy to have that and I think it's like really I'm really grateful to have that I didn't see that coming <laughs> I was taking this role but like when I took the role like you know even my first few weeks just like kind of explaining to people like what growth is it's you know people were like oh you just do copy changes mm, no 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 we don't do coffee changes. We were like real product, right? And so like, oh, do you just do performance marketing? Why do you need to touch code base for the product? And we're like, no, we do need to touch code base for the product. Like we need, like just this idea that growth should be able to operate at every part of the product and every every screen in the product in some way. And like the growth team has to be built with that mindset, right? Like the engineers and the PMs and data science, they have to be familiar with not just like, locked out landing page but everything in the product they have to be able to write code across the board so how do you build a team like that how do you train them to be able to do that yeah. um like, how do you have an organization like, that's receptive to allowing receptive them to do to that, that. <laughs> right uh, and i think that was like a really big part of my first three months at instacart because honestly like coming from facebook i'm like what do you mean like growth cannot write code on like Cora? like we and like it was just a, it was something I had almost taken for granted to be honest because it was like I'd never seen growth operate any other way. Like we write code on wherever we want to write code across the all the all Facebook apps. Um, and so I think it's been like a really interesting journey to like help people understand the difference and like oh you have to win. So I think one thing I did was like I did take on just like a couple of new bets which were hardcore product bets, like, you know, launching gifting, which is very much a social acquisition channel, launching deal stuff, which is very much a retention play. But it was like a good way to kind of experiment and position the team to be like growth can do zero to one work and we can work across the app. And I think that was really helpful because now we start building that trust in the org and now we're like, oh, okay, now you can do this three other things. Um, it's It's been exciting and it's been fascinating to see that 
Yeah. Now I'm, um, I, interestingly, our next interview, uh, we're doing this interview on a Friday. Our next interview is going to be on Monday with Morgan Brown, who you worked with in the same area of, of, uh, Facebook, who's now at Shopify working with another former colleague, Luke Levesque. And, um, it's just, there's such amazing, some of the people I respect most in growth, Stan Chisnovsky, um, also in, in measure, one of the first people that I met in growth that blew my mind probably 10 years <laughs> ago. Um, I, you know, I, th- that DNA I think has, has kind of permeated so many different companies and, um, and it's exciting to see it spread. And I think, I think there's, there's parts that are maybe not even, even recognized of, of what Facebook contributes. Like, for example, I, after we published the book, I kept uh, I kept coming up across like just the the, the whole cross functional piece, and that it's just so hard to work cross functionally, and you know trying to do as much deep dive studying into like cross functional stuff as I could, or, like yeah. reading Harvard Business School papers <laughs> and every, everything I could could to try to figure out like the cross functional challenge, and then I come across this article that says Mark Zuckerberg, the management genius has figured out cross-functional by essentially reinforcing company mission, every opportunity he has, and then uh, having a, a metric that's tied to that mission with the North Star metric. And, um, and that, that gives context to everyone in the organization on, on what it is that they're trying to accomplish and helps to, to drive alignment across that organization. And so it, uh, it is really interesting to hear how you went from that transition and you maybe experienced some of those challenges when it's, when it's in a different organization. And I'm, I'm glad that your life has gotten um, not, and, and I'm not surprised that your life has gotten better when someone who, who kind of has that same background comes into, into the organization at the top to, to help to drive that kind of company wide culture of growth and, and shared understanding of how it works. Yeah. No, totally. I think the other thing, like the cross-functional piece that I think Facebook has nailed is like, it's not like PMs working together, Edge working together, DS working together. On every problem, you are a unit of PM, Edge design, data science, and product growth functions. And you are kind of like collectively solving a problem, which I think it just creates a very different incentive system for the teams to actually solve a problem and understand them together. Um, but also it's like so much more efficient because everything you do has all these different perspectives and inf- data points and information kind of built into a proposal or a plan you are coming up with. And everyone is far more like tied in and incentivized to work on accomplishing those goals together. And so I think like everything adds up beautifully, all the metrics like goals and everything like either multiply together or add together to form your pillar level goal and so on and then everyone is equally accountable which i think is amazing because then you're really solving a problem right i've 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 always been shocked at how much creative energy gets wasted on just trying to convince people that we should approach the business this way, where if you can have that alignment up front, then then it's good to have some debate around what are the best opportunities and what's what are the right experiments against those opportunities. But if if you are debating whether experimentation is good or not, and, yeah. <laughs> and you know that that customer journeys matter, then then it's just it's yeah. just such a such a broken framework that um, it's really hard for growth to succeed yeah. in that kind of environment. And even like scaling growth ideas, right? Like you know, it's not a PM led. Yes, PMs lead, but it's not that PMs are the only function that should, that should come up with ideas for growth. 
if you could create a culture where every function can come up with ideas for growth and be like, hey, I noticed this, this is bad. What if we run an experiment to fix it? You know, then you start really compounding the impact of people you have. And then like, that's a very interesting cultural shift to do. And we saw some of that at Instacart where it's like, oh, PMs have to tell me what to do. And then it's like, but you're really smart. Like, what do you think we should do? <laughs> right, right. And so like, we are trying to do a lot of like, and, and the good thing is when you give people the space and forums to express that, they'll come up with amazing ideas, right? And so I think getting to a place where engineers feel empowered to just start an experiment because they think it's impactful and same for other functions, I think it just multiplies what you can do as a team. And we're doing a lot of that through just like process and culture building and team activities to be like, this is a forum where everyone brings pitches and then anyone can bring ideas. Every function has to bring ideas and then we'll know give awards for culture careers and stuff like that and like it just awesome. creates so much excitement yeah i think that's awesome so you're like viewing culture transformation in in front of you sorry go ahead Ethan. Yeah. no no i was just gonna say i think it's a good point when your engineer starts suggesting or even just jumping in with experiments it's a good sign that you're starting to really get your your growth uh system working working well together i want to shift gears just slightly one of the things that sean and i we keep hearing uh, as we as we uh speak to different different leaders in, in growth uh, is this idea of community-led growth. We spoke to Kieran Flanagan from HubSpot and they're just on fire. And he said, community is, is the future for us. Obviously you come from Facebook, which is built on community, but <laughs> as you, do you see opportunities for community-led growth at Instacart? Um, we do. It's something we are pretty actively thinking about. And there's so much with like community influencers recipes like cooking shows on tiktok or instagram and snapchat and whatnot um it's definitely a part of it which is how do you bridge inspiration and content and people doing that like communities that are coming together behind these ideas to shopping on instacart and there's a lot of work around that that we are thinking about so i definitely think there is something there there's something that could be huge for us it's not something we've done much of yet um, but I do think like that's where the industry is going. And like you already see that with creator economy across the board and, you know, TikTok influencers and affiliate marketing. It's like really blowing up across the board right now. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm actually just getting into reading this book by Andrew Chen. I'm not sure if you've you've heard about it, but the the cold start problem. The cold start uh, problem. <laughs> yeah, he, he sent me a good uh, preview copy of it. But one of the things that I came across um that, that in in uh, the last day or so in reading is that uh, he talks about all networks have an easy side and a hard side to the network. Um, I know you got you guys are kind of like a three sided network, so maybe oh, a yeah. easy side, a harder side, and then a really hard four sides. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can explain what those are, but then maybe you can let us know which which parts the the easiest of those parts, and is there one that's a lot harder than the others? Um. Yeah, so, I mean, and, I think so or far, do you even agree with that idea that most networks have an easy and a hard side? Um, I do think I do think they have because you know you'll see that I mean, and this like Uber and Lyft had to deal with this a lot, right? Like so much of their growth was actually not about user growth, but about uh, driver growth, and every single time they could find sufficient drivers in an area, user growth would just go up. 
right? And so it was like that was the hardest problem for them to crack more so than the consumer demand side of the problem. And I do think that kind of plays cuts across. Like even for us, it's like user, shopper, ads, and retailers. So we actually have like a four-sided marketplace. Mm, gotcha. I was um, missing the ads part. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that's like, it's a really all of this has to kind of work in conjunction with each other. Um, but I do think there are aspects of it, it which are harder than others. And I think for us, you know, scaling ads business, retailer business are two sites where the more we can crack those problems, the more growth gets transferred to consumers automatically because you just have more selection, you have more retailers, you have more ads and better deals on the platform. And I think even just like, you know, discounts that, uh, Chobani might run on Instacart on a daily basis, the more you can scale up those things, those are really hard marketplace problems to solve for us right now. And then it does transfer into user growth automatically. So, I mean, I my instinct is I've there is always a part of the network that's really hard to crack. Um, and I think like once you do it, though, again, it's one of those like big swing growth levers that just like drives everything together. And I think that's one. I think on the user side, the one thing that we haven't cracked yet, and I, I really hope we do, is the like the user-to-user network. So like reference and gifting is one thing, and we are still early there. But um, even just like shared cards and family cards, like what does that mean? Like should I be able to shop with my partner? And that, that, is that actually really growth for Instacart? Like I don't know. So, um, sounds like that might be the community-led side of things in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so like planning, like you're planning a party, how does everyone buy things together? And so I think there are like a couple of those network products that could drive growth. It's not clear to that degree to which they will right now. And so we just need to, we need to figure out how to crack it. Yeah. It's interesting. Just as you, as you say that I'm thinking like, you know, so many of the online flower services, for example, huge markup when you order them online versus if you just go and buy fresh flowers somewhere. Right. And then it seems like that, that you guys could play a really good role in disrupting that and that there's some network effect there. And that, you know, where, where are those categories that are, um, that are already tapping into online to, to, to have one person give something to someone else. And then hopefully, obviously, introducing a service through that is the other part and how yeah. you actually turn it's them into customers. It's something we just launched. We just launched gifting, I think a couple of like two weeks ago on Instacart, like for the first time. And I'm so, I'm so excited. It's very early. It's not like, it's not at a multi-billion dollar run rate right now. It's really early, but I'm really excited about the potential, even like as holidays come around, right? It's like you forgot to order a gift for your parents just buy a last minute gift from Sephora or Best Buy. And they often have amazing deals running on Instacart. And so just like trying to get into this mode of user to user, like social acquisition, as I call it, um, I think it's really going to be fascinating because if I send you a great cake today or like, you know, a last minute airport from Best Buy and then you are like, oh, I like this. What's Instacart? Let me get it. I think that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, but even like food can be great gifts. You know, someone who's just had a surgery, someone, yeah. you know, being able to like, a, 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 it feels like there's a social component oh, there yeah. that, that you can We see it like with cake, like cakes and muffins and, yeah. you know, even like just like recipe packs for soup if you're sick and bone broths and whatnot. And so 
I mean, food is the thing that people give the most to each other when it's not yeah. a formal thing, right? right? And so I actually think it's a more ongoing use case where... Yeah, hey, like it's not like Valentine's Day or something. Like right. <laughs> and so like the Mother's Days and the Valentine's Days would only happen like, you know, maybe 10 events a year. Yeah. But everything else, like people you care about, you give them food. Like yeah. it's very personal. Right. I know I know. Yeah. we could probably go on forever on this, but I want to be respectful <laughs> of your time. And I sort of want Sean to not miss his flight. So uh, <laughs> one last question before we wrap up. What do you feel like you understand about growth now that you didn't understand as well a couple of years ago? It takes time. Um, it takes time. It's not, it's not hacking growth as much as we all in growth love saying that. <laughs> it is hacking growth, but it takes time. Yeah, it's a, it's about you it's about cranking a flywheel yeah. more than more than just one. And quick you tactic. have to be so patient and so disciplined about it and doing it the right way and like really keep pushing that flywheel. Um, so because you know even the first time we did messenger growth like back in the day, all about like pushability and reachability. If you could push those two numbers above a certain threshold, you win that country. But that wasn't like, oh, you can just do it. Like it took so much time to do it surgically for every single country, one after the other. And, you know, I think that's my biggest learning. And, you know, back then I would be like, oh, I know what to do. I'll go do it. It'll have impact. It'll be great. And I'm like, no, it's going to take a time. It'll take its time. I, I think that's probably the, one of the key things for me that I took from this conversation. And thanks again so much for joining us. But uh, you mentioned that, you know, it's a real pitfall when you have conviction for, for something to, you know, you jump into it, you run an experiment and it fails. So you, you feel like you, you, you have to move on to something else. You, I think you're right. Growth takes time and you have to kind of really know when to uh, dig in and say, I believe in this. Let's keep going and see what we can find. So. Yeah. And, and particularly that, and that's the other big takeaway is just uh, for for me is just like cranking up, understanding the growth engine and then cranking up that growth engine. It's about sustainable improvement over time and not just, not just blips of improvement. That's not going to get you anywhere. And so everything that you've kind of taken us through really tells a story of, of building a sustainably accelerating growth engine that, that ultimately is going to lead to a lot more value than, uh, than, yeah, yeah, just those little one-offs that might might uh, might feel good. You get little uh, adrenaline, yeah. uh, <laughs> endorphin rush every time that yeah. you get a little win. But um, but yeah, if you if you can just keep patiently cranking that up, that uh, that's that's super powerful. But yes. um, just, thank you so much. Yeah, go ahead. Ethan. I was just going to say just one last thing. It sounds like Grima, your team is is growing fast, and I'm guessing uh, a lot of people in our audience would love to be part of that. Are there any specific roles or anything that you're looking to fill right now that our audience should uh, reach out about? Um, we have one really important role we are looking to fill is the performance marketing lead role. Okay. Um, and it's like a PM lead who would like look over all our acquisition channels and look through like, you know, social and Instagram and YouTube and all of that fun stuff and really unlock those. Um, so if anyone is interested, feel free to reach out to me. Awesome. I'm sure you'll have lots of takers yeah. on that. Well, <laughs> thank you, Garina, so much for sharing thank your story. You. Um, super insightful for me personally, and I'm sure our listeners are going to love it too. So um, for everyone tuning in, thanks for tuning in. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, don't miss your flight, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, subscribe so you never miss a show. Until next week.